are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. This morning, we'll be reading from Galatians, chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wait, the rain. Um, uh, any of you have uh, weird dreams ever that you struggle to make sense of? You're <laughs> one person apparently does. <laughs> Amy, do you have something you want to share with us? Oh, uh, I, the other night, I remember when I was dreaming, I was uh, on a train, and then all of a sudden, I was the conductor, I was in charge of the train, and then it turned into a roller coaster, and then we were going into a subway station, and I no idea what that meant. Uh, uh, any of you ever have an argument with someone in your dreams? Like maybe someone in your family, and then you wake up and you have to remind yourself, I, I'm not allowed to be upset with that person for what they said to me in my subconscious. Uh, our brains are just weird, right? Maybe, maybe it's just my weird brain. There's one dream that I've reflected on, though, that I have remembered now for more than 25 years. And it kind of relates to the passage we're looking at this morning. I remember in this dream, I was in some kind of a locker room where I, where I was getting ready for something. And uh, the pastor, the priest who had married Amelia and I was there with me. And somewhere off in the distance, I knew I could see that there were some crosses erected. And somehow I knew that I was there in the locker room to prepare to go out and die on one of those crosses. And I did not want to do that. And I was talking to, to our pastor about that, but because I could, I could still feel it in this dream from 25 or more years ago, that the dread, the anticipation of the, the pain and the rejection and the loneliness and, and dying. And I, and I told our pastor, I, I don't want to do this. And, and he said, it's okay, it's okay, you, you don't have to. And, and yet I still had the sense that, that I was doing something wrong, like, like was I, I was supposed to be doing this thing, and, and there was a part of me that was trying to find a way out of it, and, and I didn't have any follow-up. There was, there was, I never have had that dream again, but it stayed with me all this time, and it made me wonder, what was that about? Was I... 
Was I refusing to take up my cross and follow Jesus? Is that what God was telling me? What was it about, you know, there's some part of me that, that I haven't really been willing to surrender to Jesus. Like, I, like I, need to, I need to get rid of this part or I need to surrender this part. I'm not fully committed to Jesus and I'm, and I'm holding back to something and, and, and that sense of maybe God's disappointed in me or, or maybe I'm not living up to something that I'm supposed to be doing. And I think it connects to what Paul is talking about in some ways here in Galatians chapter 2 because the apostle Paul uses this striking language saying, I have been crucified with Christ. What is that about? I mean, Paul's in the middle of this discussion about uh, some of the believers in the church in Galatia and, and how they're relating to the law and asking other people to obey the law of God and isn't obeying God a good thing. And, and yet Paul's saying, that, but that's not how we're right with God. That's not how we know that we're in God's family. So, so what do we do with that? with a law that is an expression of God's will and direction and his good purposes for our lives. And yet Paul is saying, but no one's going to be declared righteous. No one is justified by doing the things that God actually tells us to do. Here's the key idea, I think, in the passage and what we want to look at. Dying with Christ, being crucified with Christ, dying with Christ leads us to life. That's what Paul is getting at. Dying with life, with Christ, leads us to life. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles or pull up on your app, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 21, especially in verses 19 and 20 today. And we're really just going to divide this about in half and talk about dying with Christ that leads us to life. Those are really shocking words that Paul puts out there for us in Galatians 2.20, even though they may be well known to many of us. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? You look back up in verse 19, and Paul says, Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, some of the background here, God had told his Old Covenant, his Old Testament people, the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, I, the Lord your God, am holy, so therefore you be holy. Here's my law. I'm giving you my law as a good way to guide you, as direction for your life. Walk in this path that you may live. Seems pretty easy, right? Just do what God says, and you'll have a full, abundant, joyful relationship with God. One problem, none of us could do it. None of God's people in the Old Testament could do it. We can't do it. We can't live up to God's standards. So that even Paul says in, back in verse 15, we ourselves who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified, is not made right, is not declared righteous, is not in God's family by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we who have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, and again for the third time, because by the law, no one will be justified. Now, I just want to do a little bit of explanation here around this text. Uh, there's more than one way to understand what Paul is talking about here and what problem he's addressing. 
Remember the context. This is important. You remember what was, was going on, the issue that Paul's addressing right before this that Pastor Joey took us through last week. Back in Antioch, Peter had been eating with Gentile believers, but then some Jewish believers from Jerusalem showed up, and all of a sudden, Peter and some of the other Jewish believers start to pull back. They, they start to say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't really be hanging out with Gentile believers because they don't keep the Old Testament laws. They're, they're not maintaining the laws about circumcision, about uh, dietary laws, about what you can eat, what, what you cannot eat. And that phrase to be justified here can also mean to be declared righteous. It, it means, again, to be forgiven, uh, to be guiltless and, and free before God and adopted into his family and in a right relationship with him. And I, and I think it's reasonable to understand then from that context, Paul is not immediately talking about these Jewish believers saying, oh, you Gentiles aren't really Christians, you're not really believers because you're not keeping the law as if the law was the way they earned their righteousness before God. These are believers in Jesus. But it seems that they were saying, you're just not as close to God as we are. You don't have it together like we do. You're kind of on the fringes somewhere, like we're inside and you guys are outside somewhere, kind of second-class Christians. You're unclean. And, you know, but there's hope for you. You could be on the inside with us if you just do the stuff that we do, right? If you looked more like us, everything would be great. And this statement about being justified by faith in Christ is a, is a rich phrase that has, has a couple of layers of meaning to it. It's, it certainly means to trust in Jesus, but grammatically, you may even have a note in your Bibles, it can be rendered as through the faithfulness of Jesus. And I think both of those things are at work here. It is the faithfulness of Jesus that we put our faith in so that we receive the benefits of all of Jesus' faithful obedience. That's what Paul is getting at. It's not our obedience. It's not our works. It is trusting in what God has done for us in Jesus and not what we are doing. Dying with Christ means we die to an old kind of righteousness, a righteousness that's based on what we're doing. And Paul wants to drive this point home. It's not being good enough and following God's standards that makes you right before God, and, and it's not keeping His laws and His commandments that that displays to other people that you're part of God's family. It doesn't get you closer to God. What defines God's people is not our obedience, but our faith in someone else's obedience on our behalf, what Jesus has done for us. Yet Paul is basically saying that all, all your good, legitimately good things you're doing, your, your sacrifice, your service, your giving, your your, your teaching, your, your good works, you have to count it all as dead, as worthless. And I think there's a, there's a part of us, a part of me at least, that gets that mentally, but I think I just struggle to really believe it, right? Because I know on the one hand that my achievements don't earn me anything before God, 
They don't distinguish us from one another, and yet all of those things that we tend to define ourselves by can start to shape how we think of our relationship with God and how we look at other people, even without noticing it. I, I mean, we would never say it out loud, but don't we sometimes kind of start to think, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but I am looking better than those people, right? Like, I, I, maybe I'm kind of messed up, but, but I'm doing a better job than, than those folks. I don't have their problems. And that's what these Jewish believers were doing. They'd accepted Jesus as the Messiah. It's just that they thought they were closer to God because they were Jewish. We've, we've got Moses. We've, we've got the laws. We're, we're following what God has commanded us to do. And that's how you show you're God's people. Maybe we can slip into some of that in our own ways. You know, maybe, maybe uh, I'm taking the gospel to unreached people, or maybe, maybe what if I had a huge ministry that reached thousands of people, or I'm, I'm leading a gigantic church, or writing books, or getting invited to speak at seminars, or teaching classes, or I'm following Jesus faithfully. I'm a good spouse. I'm a, I'm a good sibling. I'm a good friend. I'm, I'm a reliable worker. I'm honest. I, I drive the speed limit. I, I'm dependable. I've never had any really big sins in my life. Can you see how that can start to subtly make us feel that we're just in a little bit better position than the people who don't have all that, right? Like, you start to compare yourself to people who aren't as accomplished, who aren't as faithful, who aren't as dependable, who aren't as loyal, who have done the bigger sins in their lives. And you start to feel maybe just a little bit like, man, if only those people were doing as good a job as I am, they'd be closer to God. You ever feel, for example, you know, I I just, I can't believe anyone could be a Christian and think differently than I do about masks or vaccines or mandates or CRT or Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or I've heard people say both, I can't believe someone could be a Christian and vote Democratic and I can't believe someone could be a Christian and vote Republican. And I don't find either of those things in this description that Paul is giving us of what it means to be in the family of God. Now, there may be implications for all of those things about how we live out our faith and how we grow in wisdom, how we discern the truth. But can't you see that's just what Paul is talking about here? I can't believe you think you could be a Christian and eat pork. I can't believe you think you could be a Christian and not be circumcised. Or if you are a Christian, I, you know, I'm not the kind of Christian I want to hang around with. I'm not really sure I can worship with those Christians. We die to an old kind of relationship, too. We die to an old righteousness. That means we have to die to that kind of way of relating to people with Christ. And, and think about it. I mean, these were not like second-level issues for Jewish believers. I mean, these were direct commands of God. God said, don't eat those foods. God said, be circumcised. And and now Paul's coming along and saying, that doesn't make you any closer to God. It, it It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't demonstrate your spiritual maturity. It's a sign of spiritual pride. And the antidote to that pride 
is dying with Christ. He's being crucified with Christ in his death. Because if you're dead, your achievements don't matter, right? Dead people don't get awards. Dead people don't get recognition. Dead people don't get gold stars. Dead people don't go get badges for Sunday school attendance. Dead people don't get A pluses on report cards. It's all worthless if you're dead, right? Dead people don't get credit for having the right beliefs, supporting the right causes, doing the right things. And being crucified with Jesus is meant to humble us in, in the best kind of way. It reminds us that we are on the same level. We're on the same team with people who don't know as much, people who don't manage their money as well, people who made a mess of their lives, people who've done the bigger sins than we have, people who think differently than we do or vote differently or prioritize different things. And in Christ, we give up every single one of those ways of identifying ourselves morality, knowledge, nationality, ethnicity, all the things we can tend to take pride in. That is not our identity. It's not our righteousness. It's not the basis for our relationship. Dying with Christ kills our pride. But see, it also kills despair. Being crucified with Jesus means my failures don't define me. Because dead people don't fear bad performance reviews. Dead people don't get fired for failing to measure up to the standards. Dead people don't lose their homes and get foreclosed on. Dead people don't go to jail. Dead people don't have any of those bad things happen. Everything, everything that could bring us shame or guilt or fear is crucified with Christ. You know, there, there are people who may... You may look at your family or your career or your performance, and, and it, there's some pain. There's some regret there. My life hasn't turned out the way I thought. My family isn't what I'd hoped for. I'm, I'm not the spouse. I'm not the parent I wanted to be. I struggle with addiction. I struggle with sexual integrity. And we look honestly at our lives through the lens of the gospel and we say, there is absolutely no reason in me why I should be in the people of God. And yet here I am because it's about what Jesus has done. My failure, my sin, my shame, it is crucified with Christ. Millie and I had a wonderful trip up in Michigan a few years ago, and uh, we needed to get back home at a certain time for something, I don't even remember what, but we left later than we intended to. So now I'm stressed about needing to get back at a certain time, and that means I'm driving faster and more aggressively than I normally would like to. And of course, it's a two-lane highway, and there's a big truck in front of us who, believe it or not, of all the things, is driving the speed limit. None of you have ever been there, right? So I'm weaving, I'm like peeking around, I'm like right up on this guy's bumper, and I'm trying to zoom out, and a couple of times I have to even come back because then there's another car coming this way, and I'm getting more stressed, and Amelia's getting really stressed out, right? Like she's driving with her left foot in the passenger side right? And she's got her hands up on the dashboard, and, and I just keep hearing, ah, 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 ah. And, and I just said, honey, that is so encouraging and helpful. Thank you. No, I 
slammed on the brakes, pulled over to the side of the road, threw the keys down and said, if you can do a better job doing, driving, then do it. You're pastor, everyone. <laughs> yeah. But my failure does not define me. I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus died for that. I'm the guy who was willing to freak out his wife and possibly endanger her life because of my impatience. And praise God, I can say Jesus has nailed it to the cross. And that does not define me. What a blessing, what a blessing to hear these words. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God loves you and gave himself for you, for your pride and your self-righteousness and your exclusion of others. The Son of God loves you and gave himself for you in your fear and in your doubt and in your shame and in your regret. The Son of God loves you. Oh, praise God that I am crucified with Christ. But that's not the end of the story. I'm died with Christ in a way that leads to life. I don't just die. I now live. This, this paradox, this tension that, that Paul brings out in verse 20 again, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but I'm still here. I mean, I am alive. How? Because Christ lives where? Where does Christ live? In me. Christ lives in me. I'm crucified with Christ because I have died to an old kind of life. And, and I hope all of you understand and hear this the right way. This is, this is not about self-harm. This is not about hating yourself. This is not about doing violence to your bodies or, or anything like that. This is obviously a metaphor that Paul is using, but it's incredibly profound and real. I have been crucified with Christ, but that means I'm also united to him because if I have died with him, the Bible says, I will surely live with him. So if you're dead and Jesus is alive in you, who are you now? What is your identity now? Everything that's true of Jesus, his righteousness, his goodness, his compassion, his kindness, his wisdom, his holiness has now come to you to you, because it is now Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith, not in me, not in my righteousness, not in what I am doing, but in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we actually have to begin to wrestle and reckon with what does it mean that what's true of Christ is true of me. You all know those uh, cut-out 
picture-taking things that they have like at, a, at the corn maze or a carnival or, or the street fair or whatever, this big sheet of plywood, and there's, there's like a person painted on the front, a ballerina or a dinosaur or an astronaut or a cowboy or whatever, and there's a little oval cutout. You go stand behind it, and you put your face through it. You're standing on the backside, and it's you standing back there, but you put your face in the hole, and now you are the astronaut or the cowboy or the farmer, or the, the truck driver, whatever it is. It's a picture of what Paul is talking about here. The, the front of the plywood, the, the cutout that's all beautifully decorated, is Jesus' righteousness and all His record of goodness and beauty and obedience before the Father. And I'm still standing here on the backside in, you know, in my worn jeans and my ratty sweatshirt. It's me. But when the Father looks at me, the Father looks at me, what He sees is the perfection of His Son. Think about what that means. Jesus is in the wilderness, fasting and, and being tempted by Satan, and, and He is faithful to, against the temptations of, of the power and the pleasures of this world, and that righteousness and that obedience, that victory of Jesus is yours. Jesus sees the crowds and they're, they're hungry and harassed and, and He has compassion on them. He heals them. And they, the kindness, the goodness, the beauty of that is yours in Christ. That's what the Father sees when He looks at you because you are alive now to a new righteousness, a new righteousness that is not earned by you. What is true of Jesus is true of us, and we receive it, not by earning it, not by doing it, but by receiving it by faith in Him. That means that, oh, I am so secure now. I am so profoundly loved. When the Father says, this is my Son, not because it's unique to men, but my unique Son, capital S, in whom I am delighted, in whom I am well pleased. That's what the Father is saying about us, isn't it? That we are all sons of God in that sense. And we can say sons and daughters because it applies to all. But to uniquely be counted in the position of the Son of God. That means now... I. I, it frees me from the, the fear of rejection, from the shame, from, from the need to have a record that I can boast in and the, and the need to be right so that I can, you know, show how smart I am and have something to feel confident about. Did you ever think of this? Wouldn't it be awesome if God loved me like He loves His Son? And Paul is saying, that's exactly it. Yes, that's it. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ, to be led into life. It's a new identity and, and new relationships and new power, too. Because the Son of God, although He isn't enthroned in glory in heaven, yet He's also living here in us. The, the life I live, I now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, do you hear what that means? 
He said, I'm, I'm not powerless. I'm not a slave. I, I don't have to be controlled by my past. I don't have to be defined by it. Just because I have fallen a hundred times, God will pick me up a hundred and one. Just because I failed yesterday doesn't mean I have to fail today because I have Jesus himself living in me. You have hope. You, you have power. You're not controlled by your past or, or, or your genetics or your family of origin. Yeah, those things all matter, and some of them are profound and, and may need a lot of untangling. But you are not stuck. You are not hopeless. You are not powerless. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us who believe. So when I struggle with addiction, when I'm facing that same temptation again and again, when I'm trying to overcome the things that seem to paralyze me, I, I don't have to give up. I don't have to give in. Because see, the, Satan, the enemy, wants to come and say, oh, come on. You can't do that. You can't fix that. You think you can change? You think you can beat that? And that's where you can say, in me, no, because I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I do not have to be the same. I am not powerless. You are free. You are alive. Everything that's true of Christ is true of you. And when you believe that, it gives you hope. It gives you power. It gives you strength to keep on enduring and a willingness to move forward again and again and again in a way that helps put to death the, the shame and the fear and the guilt and the sense of failure. Maybe a couple of thoughts as we close of what we might do with this. If you take notes, if you jot things down, I tend to. Uh, if you don't, you, you can do it mentally. I don't care. You're not going to get a grade. You're justifying Christ. What do I care? Draw a circle. Uh, either in notes or, or in your head. And, and in your circle, imagine that as the, the, the absolute center, right? We've all kind of done something like this before. What's at the center of your life? The thing that, the most important stuff. What it is that defines you, that shapes you, that, that, that guides you. Your priority. Now, one, one church I read about uh, recently in an article, it just happened to parenthetically meant that such and such an issue was listed among their 14 priorities. I'm going to suggest that if you have 14, they're probably not all really priorities. Three or four, maybe. But there's something, something that, that is just so central to us. What is at the center for you? I know the, the answer is Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus, right? But, but is it really? One way to figure out what's at the center of the circle is to think about who's outside that circle and why. Who are the people that are not in that circle with you based on the things that are really important and that drive and define you? And why? If your job is at the center, then anything that threatens your career advancement, if it's your family, if it's a relationship, if it's pursuing Jesus, that's a threat. They're on the outside. If a sports team is at the center, my uh, older, my, well, all our kids really were raised in St. Louis, but our older son particularly is a sports fanatic, and he was born and raised in St. Louis. He bleeds Cardinal red. I love the Cardinals, but I honestly like the Cubs too. I was happy when they won the World Series. But for him, nothing good can come from Chicago. It's like, you know, a prophet from Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? 
Because that's at the center. And for him, you know, Cubs is on the outside. You're not in the circle with me if, if you're at Wrigley. If it's a political party or a social cause or, or an issue, then anyone who disagrees with you, any, anyone who has a different value or a different way of solving that problem, they're on the outside of the circle. You're one of those? You believe that? Here's the problem. See, we tend to reason backwards from the circle that we've drawn to define what Jesus is like based on the stuff that we've put in the circle. Does that make sense? And, and then we kind of tend to think that Jesus is with me in the circle and all the other stuff that I've crammed in there with him. And then if you disagree with me about those things, then you're outside the circle and you're not with Jesus because I obviously am. And, and therefore, you know, I just don't think you could be a Christian and believe that thing. So therefore, it's hard for me to accept that you really are a Christian. That's what these people were doing in Galatia, right? How can you eat pork and call yourself a Christian? How could you be uncircumcised? I mean, we don't take it that far. You know, I just, well, I just can't worship with someone who thinks that. Or I can't, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to even hang out with those people. If faith in Jesus... And what he has done is what defines me, is what creates and defines the people of God. Then on what basis am I saying people who disagree with me about some political thing or some social thing or even some other doctrine in the Bible that's not absolutely central, maybe it's important to me, you know, but, but it's not absolutely central to our faith? Who am I to say that because they have a different understanding of baptism, for example, that they're outside the circle. Oh, I'm not even sure they can even be Christians if you believe that, if you vote that way, if you think that way, if, if, if you don't agree with me about this thing. Jesus has thrown the doors of the temple wide open, see. The, the curtain's torn in two, and, and now we're all welcome to come in to the presence of God. So how do I keep erecting barriers to stop people from getting there because they don't agree with me about X, Y, or Z. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Count yourself dead to your own righteousness, but alive in Christ because that is good news. That is the good news. Jesus' sacrifice is a once-for-all completed reality that we enter into, that we accept, and then we live out of by faith. It's not something I live up to. And that's where I think that dream that I shared back at the beginning was so confusing. Because I think I was struggling with this idea that I, I need to do something for Jesus. I, I need to, you know, like really demonstrate or display that I really belong to him. Jesus died for me. Now, there's huge implications for how we live that out and what that does in our lives, and that's what Paul's going to take us through in the rest of the chapters of this book. But we've got to have this foundation solid, or we're just going to go off in all kinds of wacky, messed-up ways. I have died with Christ. And now I live in Him. And now I'm empowered to live in Him. Not in a way that earns anything, but because I've already belonged to Him. Dying with Christ leads us to life. Oh, oh. 
may we never lose that. May we never move beyond that. May that be the foundation for all of us. And may we grow in it more and more. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus. I, uh, I feel so inadequate to do justice to the beauty and the power and the reality of this good news. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you will sink this truth deeper and deeper into our hearts and lives that we are crucified, we have died to an old righteousness, an old way of relating to people so that we are alive with you through your Son. And Father, if there are people hearing my voice who have never come to really know that or experience you in that way, oh, Father, I pray today would be the day that they would say, I want that, I want Jesus. I, I come with empty hands simply to receive his righteousness, and his life. And Father, that's what we all pray because that's what we need. Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' life. So help us to receive it and help us to live out of it with joy and gratitude and worship. In your precious Son's name, amen.